Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. I'm going to read a scripture and I'll let you be seated, okay? There's a, a, a woman in the Bible who's uh, living in a, a, a tough life. Um, I don't know if she's made a bunch of tough decisions. I don't know if uh, maybe she just, uh, you know, uh, didn't pick men wisely and she just was with a bunch of knuckleheads. But the Bible tells us that she'd been married and divorced five times. And uh, Jesus talks to her. He has a conversation with her. And, and the conversation is astounding because he showed her so much love and so much com- compassion. He treated her differently than anybody else in society would have. And I believe he's setting an example and he's modeling a way on, on how we should it, attempt to reach people, touch people, talk to people. And she asks a question. She just basically says this, Hey, are we supposed to worship here or are we supposed to worship there? It's really what it came down to. There was two sects of people. One people said, you're supposed to worship on this mountain. The other people said, no, our, our leaders told us we're supposed to worship on this mountain. And Jesus says something that's so profound, and, and I still think that we don't get it. I've studied the scripture. I mean, I'm, I don't want to say hours. That would be an exaggeration, but over an hour trying to understand this, and I still think I'm scratching the surface. I don't think I fully understand it, and I have a responsibility to somehow communicate it to you today. This is in John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus, uh, 2,000 years later, and these words are still challenging the minds of those who give their lives to you, those who choose to follow you, those who trust you. I pray that um, as we unpack these thoughts, that you would be present, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily. I pray that you would just open our ears and our hearts to be receptive of what we need to learn today and what we need to change about our approach, our attitude, our, our interpretation of what worship is. We're so thankful that you gave us your word One could spend a lifetime studying it and still just scratch the surface of what you want us to understand about you and your great name. Jesus, we honor you today with our hearts and with our lips and with our words. We also honor you today as we dive into your holy scripture and we pull something away to apply to our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, Worship team, you guys did awesome. Thank you so very, very much. So we're going to kick off a new series today called Everything is Spiritual. And, And my goal is to help us take away some truths of what worship is. So that's my intention today is to really just answer one question. What is worship? So if I ask you what worship is, some of you would say, oh, that's what we do on Sunday mornings right before 
the preaching happens and we sing. Some of you would say, well, you know, I, I worship in my car with music. Some, and we would all probably have a slightly different answer of how we define worship and how it applies to our lives. I'm going to challenge you today and over the next few weeks to redefine worship. I'm going to challenge you today to say, okay, I, I understand this is what I've been taught, this is what I've learned, but I, I want to have an open mind to exactly what worship is. And so worship is a lifestyle, if I could define it, of acknowledging God's sovereignty and his guidance. That's, I, I, now, I've been like almost in turmoil of how to define this because I'm going to actually define the English and the, and the Hebrew word in just a minute. But if I could define it for you today, I would say that worship, what is worship? Worship is a lifestyle of acknowledging God's sovereignty and guidance in your life. And so I want to unpack that. And so I'm going to tell you today that some of us are just going to be learners and we're going to be like, well, I can apply that easily. Or I could see how that would make sense in my life. Others of you are going to be like, oh, that's not what I was taught. This guy's crazy. Pastor's done lost his marbles, and I'm okay with that because I, I want you to I want to challenge you, and I want you to challenge me in the way that I'm thinking through this. So the best way I think I can help us today is by starting off with a story. In the 1600s, there was a French psych. Uh, he was a physicist, an astronomer. He was an inventor and a philosopher. Now, in the 1600s, everybody had the same worldview. Everybody had a worldview that was called geocentric. The church even had a geocentric worldview. Not in scripture, but that's the stance that they took. In the 1600s, this is what was taught. That the earth was the center of the universe. And everything revolved around the earth. This cat who I'm speaking of, his name is Galileo. Now, he starts to study the universe, and he starts to say, okay, there's no way that the earth is the center of the universe. He goes to this other philosophy. He didn't invent this philosophy, but he, he starts to write about it, and it was called heliocentric. And basically, Galileo, in 1610, publishes a paper, more or less, about the moons of Jupiter, and takes this stance, and he says... The earth is not the center of the universe. The sun is the center of the universe. And everything revolves around the sun. Now you and I, we all been edumacated, right? We all made it through at least like the fifth or sixth grade. So we know, okay, we know that the earth is not the center of the universe. That was three or four hundred years ago. 400 years ago, just a short amount of time ago, everybody, it reminds me of my favorite line in Nacho Libre, I believe in science. I mean, science is always evolving and changing. I won't say to clarify two points. One, the Bible never, ever says that the earth um, is the center of the universe. It never does. It was, a, it was a, a horrible stance. And this is why I want to share this with you. Let me tell you what happened to Galileo. Galileo was told that he needed to recant his position. And so he does publicly. He can't do it. 22 years later, he just decides, I'm not, it's heliocentric. I know what I believe. And this is what Galileo said. He says, all truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. So why am I telling you this story? 
1632, Galileo takes a position. He says, I believe that the earth is not the center of the universe. The sun is. He's considered a heretic in uh, France. And he is um, basically put on house house arrest until he dies. The Catholic Church condemns him and puts him on house arrest. And he spends the last 10 years of his life a prisoner of his own home. Some of you are looking at me like, how is he going to tie this one back? (laughs) Some of you have to change the way you view worship. Some of you are going to leave here today never looking at worship the same way. Some of you, your thoughts, if they were anything like mine, you're going to ask yourself, I don't even know if I am a worshiper. I, I don't even know if I've understood the concept of worship. I think I know. I think I've understood it. But I am, you would probably be a geocentric person. You would say that worship revolves around you. And I need you to become today heliocentric where you realize that your life revolves around Jesus. And you and I have to become better worshipers. It is a necessary paradigm shift. And I want to challenge our thinking with thinking about Galileo You can share that little bit of history with somebody later. I'm sure they'll be really impressed. Put it on Facebook. Your friends will know how smart you are. Here's the point. You bear the image of God. And in turn, because you bear the image of God, you also have the capacity within you to know Him. I mean, that freaks me out. There's no other organized religion that says you get to know God. And even more importantly, you get to become like him, take on his nature and his thoughts and live in submission to the Holy Spirit. Nobody nobody else is offering that. I think it's one of the things about following Jesus that makes it so much more confident is I can stand firm that Jesus is moving. He does move. He does allow me because I'm just telling you, I'm not gracious on my own. I'm not. And if I'm not gracious to you, it's because you got the flesh, Ronnie, not the Holy Spirit, Ronnie. I mean, and it happens because I'm always battling this. But then there's moments when I forgive somebody that doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And I'm at peace with that. And I know, okay, there's no other way that I could do this without Jesus living on the inside of me. We are on this quest to discover God's glorious riches, His intimate, genuine relationship with us that He so desires. And for whatever reason, we kind of push it away. I want to define the word worship. If you look it up in your your dictionary, it basically says a reverent love, an ardent devotion, an expression of love to bring pleasure to God. Worship is about giving. It's not about receiving. It actually comes from an old English word. And the word was spelled worth-ship. W-O-E-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. It's a word that shows we are proclaiming God. We're putting our worth in what we are making sacrifices to. We are putting our worth into what we are worshiping. See, this is, is so... It's such a revolutionary thought. And it was in Jesus' time as well. Because in Jesus' time, it was always about a building. I'm, I'm assuming that some of you this week probably even said these words, I'm going to church this week. We don't go to church. We are the church. When Jesus died, 
and gave his life and resurrected, he, he completely changed the way that church is done. He completely changed the way that worship is done. And that's why that statement that I read, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is establishing the basis of true worship. He's saying it's not a place, it's not trappings, it's not the things that you have to do or, or a certain way that you have to do them. He's saying everything that you do can be worship. So the first thing you have to do about worship is you're probably going to have to change the way that you think about it. And you're going to have to redefine your understanding of worship. You're going to have to realize that worship is a lifestyle of acknowledging God's sovereignty and guidance in your life. The second thing you're probably going to have to do is you're going to have to make worship a priority. A.W. Tozer, and this isn't an exact quote, so I'm going to tear his quote up, but this is in The Pursuit of God. It's one of my favorite books. I strongly recommend you buy it. I read it a couple times a year, and I have for probably about eight years. But this is a thought that comes out of there. He says, what if you personalized God? What if you made Jesus personal to you? What if you believed that he thinks, he feels, he enjoys, he loves, he desires, and he suffers? How would you respond to Jesus if for a moment you personalized him? How would you treat Jesus differently if you really looked at him as someone who felt, as someone who suffered, as someone who was wanting and desiring a deep relationship with you. I wish I could unpack that chapter. Get the book today and read it yourself. Louis Giglio says this, When the subject is worshipped, the stakes are high because worship is what God is all about. We have to make worship a priority. God takes worship seriously. In Exodus chapter 20, Verses 2 through 6, this is what Scripture says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved images or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or, uh, or in the earth beneath or that it is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Everybody say jealous visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. When it comes to worship, God takes worship seriously. He says, you can't have any other gods before me. Let me just tell you some of the gods that I have served over the last decade. I have served the God of approval. And he is a relentless God. The God of approval is always making me measure myself up against somebody else. The God of approval is always trying to define me by the accomplishments of others. The God of approval is always making me look at the life and my mess and judging against somebody else's highlight reel of all their successes. And I have served and I've been a slave to the God of approval. I've served the God of money. The God of money has fooled me to think, you know what, I can give more if I just make a little bit more. 
The God of money has made me think, you know what, I would have a little bit more if I was worth a little bit more. The God of money says this, hey, just sacrifice a little bit more time away from your family, just a little bit more, just give me a little bit more and everything is going to be okay. And he's a nasty, nasty slave master. I've served good gods. I've served the God of family. I put my family on a pedestal and I was like, Jesus, I will only obey you if you promise to protect them. Jesus, I will serve you faithfully if you, get, if you have my family's back. Instead of saying, Jesus, I will go anywhere and do anything and stay faithful to you. And God's word says that I can't have any other God before him. And some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm serving those gods. Man, I I promise you, I promise you, you need to take some serious evaluation of what you are worshiping, what your life is offering back to God. Man, I'm telling the words jealous. I don't know if you've ever had a crazy ex, right? Um, I'm going to tell a story. My wife's not in here. See, this is so bad because she's my filter for everything. I can look at her and I can tell. There was a girl I was dating in high school, and um, I started to kind of date this other girl at the same time. I mean, I know none of you have ever done that. And uh, she went to a different school, so I knew I was okay. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, a girlfriend at my school, girlfriend at the other school. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, my pastor's a dog. I'm leaving the church. Um, and uh, so uh, what little did I know that one of the girl I was dating for a while was really good friends with the girl I started to date's cousin. So I might have showed up in pictures at the same time in the same house. So needless to say, somebody's tires might have got slashed by this crazy ex-girlfriend. Um, and I probably may have deserved it. I don't know. But any time I think about jealous God, I think, oh my gosh, God is jealous for me. He's so passionate about me being faithful to him that he will come and slash my tires. I mean, not really, but do you know what I'm saying? He, he, he is a jealous God. We put God at second and third. Here, God, here, here's the silver medal. Finances are going to take the gold medal. God, here's the bronze medal. You, you're on the podium. You're on the podium. You're, just, you're just, a, just a little lower on the podium. Right now, my family comes first, and then my finances, because I can't trust you with them. When, and and you're, here, you, you meddled, though. You meddled. You got the bronze medal. And if I take serious inventory sometimes in my life, God isn't even on the pedal, pedestal of medal winning. And I am serving other gods. In Hebrew, there are a myriad of words to describe the act of worship. Singing and dancing, rejoicing. There's even worship for mourning. Some of you have been there right where your heart is broken and you're like, all I am is you. I'm totally trusting you. There's words for mourning. And then there's some other words, bowing down, falling down, service, labor, seeking, a reverent fear, the word awesome, everything is awesome. If you've not seen the Lego movie, yes. Um, Awesome comes from this word where it's like awe and reverence, ministering, 
and supplicating. There's like 10 to 15 different words in Hebrew that identify, that define the word worship. And this is what I want you to notice. All of them, every one of them infer a movement, an action, or an interaction. They all say that you have to be in relationship with God. Worship is change. Worship is priority. And everything that you do is worship. Before I close with worship as an offering, I want to give you four myths about worship. Okay, I'm pretty sure they're going to be up here. Yeah, Myth number one is worship is about me. It's all about me. Me, me, me. Worship's about me. Let me tell you how this looks and how you can decide whether this worship in your heart is a false idol. Let me give you an example. One of them is songs. Well, there's just some songs that move me more. I'm guilty. I get that. That ain't worship. Some of it is about style. Let me give you a story. Ashley and I visited a church about 10 years ago. They're now one of the largest churches in America. But we were, we were taking part in this church when they were meeting in this gymnasium at a, at a, a middle school. And we're there. And Ashley and I were serving in ministry. We had taken a week off, and that's where we decided to go and take part in, and, and we would go there often. And I'll never forget the first time there. I go in, and it was a rock concert. I mean, there, it was loud, and things were happening. And, I mean, then the Word came on, and this man of God delivered a powerful Word, and we left. The whole time, all I can think about was, was, was that rock and roll? What kind of music was that? What kind of music? I get in the car. And I have been offended by the style of worship. And the first thing I say to my wife is, could you believe the music? And she goes, I know, wasn't it amazing? And I'm like, I married a pagan. And this is what happened. She was an MTV brat. I mean, she grew up on you when music television was music television. And she had a greater appreciation for pop culture music. And this was mine. I grew up in a Baptist church across the river of Ohio in a small town in Kentucky where if there wasn't a piano and there wasn't an organ, it wasn't worship, people. Sometimes we mixed it up with the bass guitar and a banjo, but that's because we were hillbillies. I mean, it was, that was worship. And I get in and something else, and I'm like, this can't be worship. See, that's what happens when you make worship about you. Well, the song's got to be right, or the worship leader's got to be engaging, or the music has to be my feel, and he better play one of my songs today. Instead, worship is you lifting your voice and lifting his name on high. Myth number one says that worship is all about me. Myth number two says worship happens one day a week. We of the church have done a bang-up job of allowing this to happen. Matter of fact, on a typical Sunday when we're meeting in our normal facility, you would see a sign that says what when you walk in the door? It does, right? That's what we've done. We have pretended or we have emphasized worship as this one hour on a Sunday instead of a lifestyle of acknowledging God's sovereignty and His guidance. Worship is more than 30 minutes on Sunday Myth number three is that worship is just a part of my life. See, worship is just something that I occasionally do. 
That's a myth. Your life is worship. Right now, you are worshiping something. Myth number four. Worship is just a religious activity. It's songs and sacraments. That's what worship is. When the Bible clearly defines worship as a lifestyle. If you or I ever hope to worship God in a way that authentically, authentically, I can read really well, connects you to His presence, you and I have to realize that worship is not about us. It's not. We, we, we make it about us. We make it about us quite often. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And we are called to worship Jesus with every decision. Every ounce of our being is to make much of Jesus. Worship, number three, is an offering. An offering means worship sometimes, more often than not, is going to cost you something. There's two mistakes that we make about worship. And until we understand that worship was created by God and for God, worship will never make sense. Worship is always about Jesus all the time in everything that we do. Here's the two mistakes we make about worship. One, it's just by our nature. We are inwardly focused. In everything that we do, it's always about how is it going to impact me. Instead of the first question being, Jesus, how is this going to impact you? Instead of, hey, Jesus, is this where you really want me at? Instead of saying, Jesus, we make worship all about ourselves. And it's just a mistake. It's by our nature. The second mistake that we often make is about our knowledge. We've just never been taught any differently. We've also been taught when it comes to knowledge that worship is a feeling. And like if I didn't get the Holy Spirit goosebumps, worship wasn't happening. And then that again makes me the center of worship. Let me give you a perfect example right now. And I've said this, I don't know, probably more times than not. But, um, you know, for whatever reason right now in this season of life that I'm in, there are two songs that I listen to on repeat in my little worship time. And one of them is Oceans by Hillsong. The other is You Won't Relent, we're doing it next week, by Jesus Culture. And what I want you to know is both of those songs are speaking into my life right now. But if we don't play Oceans or we don't play You Won't Relent, that doesn't get to impact my heart when I'm worshiping. Does that make sense? We make worship about me. We make worship about my feeling. It's not a feeling. When you rely on your emotions to tell you that you have connected with God, you are making your feelings the center of worship. Rick Warren puts it this way. Yes, he, speaking of God, wants you to sense his presence, but he's more concerned that you trust him than you feel him. He says, faith, not a feeling, pleases God. And you have a responsibility to worship in every season, no matter what is going on. 
A.W. Tozer in the same book I quoted a little bit earlier. Oh, no, this is actually in a different book, but here's what he says. Worship is not confined to emotions and feelings, but is an inward attitude or a state of mind subject to the degrees of perfection and intensity. It is not possible to always worship with the same degree of wonder and love as at other times, but wonder and love always has to be there. Let me tell you how this unpacks in your life. Last night, um, Maisie and I are just wrestling, okay? And uh, my kids know that I love them by um, it's um, just beating them up. I mean, we, we, we get down in the living room. People get hurt. I don't, blood has been shed one time, I think. I mean, and it, it happens. And my kids know that I have the spiritual gift of tickling. I can't do it to adults. It would be weird. So, um, But um, my sister-in-law got excited. I... Uh, um, my, but my kids know that, and I'm more, and listening to her laugh just last night, I thought, this is worship. This is, I, I, here I am engaging with my, whatever she is, three-year-old, and I'm, I'm like, two, okay, whatever. Um, there's eight of them. Um, her birthday is 10-8-09, be impressed. Um, and so, oh, no, it's not either. That's Mercy's birthday, yes, uh, yeah, my Lord, that's insane. Maisie is who I was telling the story about. Mercy and Maisie were in there. So Maisie was born in June the 24th, for those that care. Um, and so um, I, I'm wrestling with her, and I hear her laugh. And in this moment, I'm like, I'm making this moment worship. I'm making this mo- moment a, a dad loving his little girl a parent engaging with their child, and I get to make this worship. We should ask the question in worship, God, how can I give myself to you? Not, God, what do you have for me? I'm going to close with two things because this is where it scares me. I'll be really honest with you. The song of your heart is the song of your lips. And if it's not surrendered to Jesus, it is not worship. And it scares me. It scares me because I think a lot of people have this idea of who Jesus is. It scares me because I think a lot of us let Jesus have part of us, but not all of us. And Jesus says, I am a jealous God. Jesus basically says, if I'm second, you don't have me. And it scares me. Because I think a lot of us have come to Jesus and we have said this, Jesus, you are mine as long as you take care of me. He promises to never leave and forsake you. Sometimes God's ways are higher than your ways and the things that He allows to happen in your life that don't make sense, He will be glorified from if you allow Him. This is why it uh, freaks me out a little bit. This is Jesus speaking to religious professionals. He's not speaking to pagans. He's not speaking to people that don't know God. He's not speaking to people that haven't been taught about God. He is speaking to people that are too Be trusting in God, living for God. And this is what he says to them. You hypocrites, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, to have found God and then to pursue Him is your soul's greatest paradox. Because there's a part of you where Jesus comes in and He flips everything upside down and He says, you will worship Me. Those who worship Me will worship Me in spirit and in truth. Those who worship Me will worship Me by giving Me the gold medal of their lives, by placing Me on the pedestal in priority number one, not second, not third, not when it's convenient. And then He goes on to say that you talk about Me, but your heart is so far from Me. And I'm telling you, it shakes me up inside. First Peter, and he's um, speaking to the church, he says, You yourselves are like living stones and being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We worship when we praise. We worship with thanksgiving. We worship with devotion. And we worship when we sacrifice. I'm going to try to give these to you a little bit. You know, with praise for me, I I just wrote a few things down. Sometimes it's a song. And sometimes it's a dance. And sometimes I'm just praising Him in prayer. Some of you, if you watch me, now don't because it could be distracting. But I I dance every day. Every Sunday. It's a Baptist dance. I mean, it's just a little hop. This is me. That's about, that's about as crazy as I can go. I haven't taken off running yet. I've thought about it a couple times, but it hasn't happened yet. Only because I'm worried about tripping over something. But when we worship with praise, we do it with our songs and the way that we sing. We do it when we dance before the Lord. The Bible says this, that David is so in love with Jesus that he starts taking off his clothes and he's dancing in the street praising God. And David's wife comes to him and says, What are you doing? You are a king. Act like one. And he says one of my favorite sayings in the Bible. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. David says, I'm going to dance and celebrate before God with my life, with everything. And I am willing to make a fool of myself for Jesus so people can know that I follow him. We worship with thanksgiving. We do that in prayer and we do that with our good deeds. The stories I get to hear that some of you guys are doing always spurs me on. We worship with devotion. Hebraically, um, there is a saying that that, um, studying of God's word is the highest form of worship. And then you sacrifice. Man, you know, sacrifice looks different for us. We're not taking, you know, a lamb out of our flock and shedding its blood on an altar and looking at the actual sacrifice. One of the things that freaks me out the most about Passover is it was supposed to be a young lamb and it had to be a perfect lamb. And then for a period of time, this young lamb lived in your house. I hate cats. I'm serious. Well, only because I'm allergic to them. 
But I have a cat that I let sleep in my house when it's cold outside. He was a barn cat that traveled with us. And if it's going to be cold or anything, I let him sleep in the house because I, I just want to take good care of him. I don't know why it is. I, 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 I have no idea. Someone probably should try to cast out a demon later because why am I being nice to a cat? I don't understand it. I'm not a cat person. But I want you to imagine taking this little lamb and then letting it live around your, your, your family. Letting your kids get attached to it. And then showing the payment of sacrifice by killing it. We don't even understand sacrifice anymore. We don't. This is your sacrifice. You know what? I only had Starbucks one time this week. Praise be to Jesus. I am sacrificing. Right? You sacrifice with your time. You will always make time for what's important to you. You sacrifice with your talents. Some of you, God is gifting and has gifted you. And the body of Christ needs your gift. You sacrifice with your resources. Some of you are just artsy and you can help do things. Some of you just like to serve and you can help us do things. You sacrifice with your resources and you sacrifice with your finances. You trust that God can do more with your 90% or your 80% than you can do with your 100%. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.